Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart, amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, the Warrior of Love. And we are not only in uh, Soul Talk, we are also in Zoology Network. And we have a, a person that I have met in person that is very, very special for me. I consider her my friend. And uh, she has helped me tremendously in so many levels, in so many ways, in you know, not only my speaking gigs, in the personal level. It is, I really love this woman. Her name is Heidi Dunstan. I hope I, I say it right. <laughs> you said it the Spanish way, Heidi Dunstan. Um, in the German way, it's Heidi Dunstan. But yeah, <laughs> yes, I, right. I love the way you say it. You know that I live in Mexico part of the time, so I'm used to the Spanish way. Oh gosh, one day I, have, I might have to do the same thing going to Mexico, and the same thing that you're doing. <laughs> I should be doing <laughs> myself. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Heidi. Uh, she, Heidi, is um, she is a certified grief educator and best-selling author. Her passion is to helping others in the learning more about the grief and how to support others when they're grieving after losing their uh, after losing her husband unexpectedly almost three years ago. She experienced all this, and that's how she became a grieving uh, coach by her own experience. She's also the best, uh, one of the best-selling authors, and we're going to be talking a little bit about her book very soon. And Heidi, thank you for making the time because I know you're always so busy all the time. And oh, Monica, I love spending time with you. You know that, and you're special to me as well. And I'm honored that you would allow me to be on your show. So thank you. It's a gift. Beautiful. I would like to ask you. Okay, there is different kinds of grieving not only for losing a person it can be losing a relationship but I would like to first let's talk about what is grieving so grief um the grief recovery institute defines grief as a loss due to change of any kind right and so it isn't just going to be about death um it could be that somebody has passed away or an animal's passed away but it could be that we've lost our job that we've gone through a divorce um, maybe we've had a health change. Maybe uh, we've, in that job loss, we get a new job and financially we take a significant change, right? People grieve all through COVID when they, when they saw that things, their money situation changed. Um, people are grieving right now as, as the cost of things have, have increased tremendously. Um, well, kids grieve beautifully. Little kids you know, when they lose their pet rock or their balloon floats away or their ice cream hits the ground, that's grief. They're, they're sad about those things. Teenagers grieve too. When you turn off the Wi-Fi or take a device away, their grief might look a little different than a toddler's, but it's still grief. Um, and the hard part that people often don't realize is that grief is what I call an umbrella term. It's that umbrella that under kind of covers off a ton of different emotions and so there could be anger there could be sad sadness there could be depression or or um significant um frustration confusion there could be 
gratitude, there could be regret, there could be guilt. There's a ton of emotions all described by one little word of grief. And so people don't always understand when they say, oh, I'm grieving, but that grief doesn't look what they think it should look like because grief can look very, very different for everybody. And not only that, many people do not even realize that they are in any of these situations. I, I just had a client that she told me, I just realized that I am sad and I have a deep depression for a long, long time and until now. And I was like, wow, it's like how long a person can be grieving for long periods of time and they don't even realize they are. Yeah, that would be but... me, that would be everybody. Well, and the hard part is, is in our world, we also think that grief is just about death. And it isn't always, right? Um, I recently was chatting with a friend who just had, uh, it went through breast cancer. And in her surgery, she lost part of her breast. And, and you know, as she's getting back into the work world, she's realizing, like, my clothes don't fit the same. And I look, you know, I have to get undergarments that are different. And, and, and I said, my friend, you're grieving. You're grieving that you've lost a piece of your body. And, and the tears started. And, and I just said, you know, you're allowed to. Like, this is significant. You know, we as women identify so much of, of our femininity around our breasts. And so when all of a sudden we lose a piece of it, there is going to be grief there. But because we don't talk about grief very much, it, it kind of, it takes a little bit to actually go, oh, yeah, I am. Right. And, and a lot of people are, are worried that, oh, people are going to watch me like, or judge me. Right. There's lots of judgment and grief and, and, and we don't live in a world that likes to deal with pain. And so we tend to leave all that stuff behind, but the reality is, is it creeps up into our everyday life and, and we see it in different places and spaces. I mean, we're almost at the end of September. Think of all the parents that just sent their kids off to college and they've got empty nest syndrome. That's grief right? Um, those are, those are all normal. And yet a lot of people don't know how to identify it because that one little word could mean something. And, and, you know, a mom could be sad and a dad could be mad and they're both grieving because I believe griefs as individuals are fingerprint and none of us do it the same, which means that none of us do it right or wrong. How we do it for ourselves is the only right way. And we don't get to get to decide how somebody else, how somebody else's grief looks for them. And how do we get overcome that? How we move forward? Because the pain is going to be there. The, the missing parts of whatever it is from the breast, from a marriage, from a person that died, it is different, but it is the same pain. How we move forward with it? You know what? I, I believe the grief is love. Um, and that when we grieve somebody, it's because we love them. You know, my first grief counselor after my husband died, that was about six or seven months after he passed that I saw her. And I was very emotional in my first session. And I apologized for my tears and kind of felt bad that she had to see me in that state. And she said, Heidi, when I witness deep grief, it's because I'm witnessing deep love. It wouldn't hurt if you didn't love your person, if you didn't love that piece of you, if you didn't love the way your life was. And so lots of times when grief sneaks up on us and I'm, my husband passed in 2018. So it's been almost five years that he's been gone. There are still days that I grieve. Are they as frequent as they were when he first passed? Definitely not. 
Um, but can they be just as intense? There are days that can be, they're not as often, but there's days that I miss him. And so the way I kind of relate grief to people like as an image is when it first happens, it feels like you're carrying a huge boulder and it's insurmountable. Like it just, it's, it's awkward. You can't see around it. Your arms are sore. You're trying to hold this thing. And as you move through time, you know, you start moving through those emotions and feeling them, and maybe you go and get help or, you know, get your health on track, whatever that looks like, and pieces of it'll start breaking away. And also your arms and, and your body start getting used to carrying it. So I'm not going to say that you get stronger, but you get used to carrying it. It's not as exhausting. And as it gets smaller and smaller, um, it becomes more and more manageable. And so that's where I think a lot of people use kind of the platitude that time heals all wounds. And I think that term is a little bit BS, I'll be honest with you, because I still can have days that are just as heavy and dark as the day that I lost my husband, Mike. Um, but the reality is, is that I have gotten, my, my grief is now, it, I'm able to carry it. And on the days that I can't, I just give myself the grace to carry it the way I need to in that moment. But you know, it's, it's a matter of, we carry those things and, and some griefs are easy and they kind of just turn into bite size. You put it in your pocket and it maybe flares up, right? Like, so for example, you know, it might be a, um, a grief, like, you know, I, I was diagnosed with cancer and when you all of a sudden beat cancer, um, five years down the road, it could be like, wow, like I've come a long way. And, but you still look at that time and you still have all those memories. You still have all of that stuff. It just isn't as intense because you have moved through some of the emotions, right? And not everybody moves through the emotions. There are people that have anticipatory grief. They grieve before it actually happens. Some people have delayed grief. They you know, don't move through the emotions right away. None of it's right or wrong. You know, the reality is, is we, we do things the way we need to do them. I would say the wrong thing that we do is that we judge others and we judge ourselves on how we do them. Cause I can tell you, there are times that I didn't want to grieve, you know, in the grocery store when I didn't have to buy milk again and the tears, like I'm messy crying in the grocery store. I didn't want to grieve then, but I didn't get a choice yeah. and I had to allow myself to feel the feels I tell people. Feel the feels so that you can move through them so that you can. And I, and I never believe that you move on. I believe you do move forward. The language you used earlier, Monica, was bang on. We don't move on. It isn't just like I, that. that's done. Yeah. These are people and things in our lives that we love and cherish. And so know that that's possible. And know that sometimes you grieve things that you wish you had. You know, there'll be people that are grieving, you know, uh, for example, say you have a parent who maybe wasn't the best parent. Maybe they were abusive or maybe they had did terrible things to you. You may grieve the fact that you never get a chance to have a healthy parent or the parent that you wanted or that, you know, you saw on TV. And yeah. that's a normal grief, too. So sometimes we don't grieve the things that we've lost. We grieve the loss of a dream you know, families that have kids with disabilities, they often go through grief. And it's the grief of I, my kid will never be, quote, normal. 
Um, and that's that that is a normal grief to go through. Um, you know, too. I yes. Um, my when my dad, I had a delayed grief. It took me five years to actually cry it out and actually heal it. That was almost twenty years ago. And uh, and I promise myself because this world is not conducive to actually understand that we have to honor our emotions. If you're angry, you have to hold it. If you're sad, you have to hold it. You have to hold all your emotions in inside of you. So everything has to be peace and love. When in reality, when we're not honoring those, that is when I feel it linger more than whatever emotion you're passing through. Well, the problem is, is that we live in this world that doesn't like pain. Mm. And so we're good. We're happy. Everybody's, oh, Monica's all peace and love. We're good. But when we're feisty and angry or sad or grieving, then people, that's when the big bad kryptonite comes out and that's judgment. And, and that's when we judge people and we forget that their grief look, will look different than our grief. And we compare, right? I can tell you the first three months after Mike passed, I heard every death story possible. I understand grief. I went through divorce. I totally understand grief. My 95-year-old grandma died. Oh, I understand grief. My goldfish died. I heard all of them, right? And the reality was, is I wasn't in a state to carry those stories. My story felt way too heavy. But the reality is, is I know that the people didn't say it to me because they wanted me to carry it. They were trying to empathize with me. But, but sometimes what ends up happening is we end up feeling like we're comparing. Yes, it is. Uh, I did, did the mistake a while back that I was like, oh, well, I understand. I divorce and when someone become a widow. And it's like, it's not the same. This was my choice. Mm-hmm. And the other one wasn't my choice. And the other mm-hmm. one, when someone become widow, is not their choice. Yeah. It is very different having a choice than not having any choice at all. And 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 I'll agree with you. It is very different. And it is it is probably one of the things that I encourage people not to say, mm-hmm. to turn around and say, hey, I understand grief. I went through divorce when somebody has just lost their spouse to death. Mm-hmm. They don't. there is grief and divorce and and it is significant and it is just as intense, but it is not the same. And it can really harm the person that you're saying it to, because they're not going to bump into their, their person at the mall anymore. They're not going to have, be able to hear their voice or their laugh anymore, co-parent with them. Their whole world has shattered, right? And they've, they're picking up the pieces no different than you did in divorce, but you've got pieces where you'll pick up with that person or still have the ability to, to, oh, I ran into them at the restaurant or, you know, whatever that looks like post breakup. But so, yeah, I encourage people don't say things like that. I, I encourage a lot of things to not say, because we say, we say really weird things to people. What do you say to someone that it is just recently, uh, lost someone well why don't we start with some of the things we don't say because oftentimes those are what people relate to and and i i tell grievers and and i i learned this i mean i i felt it i felt it early on when mike passed and i i felt it throughout my probably first two years of grief where people just said things that missed the mark and so things like you know any sentence that starts with at least and we, we hear these kind of sentences. So at least they're not suffering anymore. 
you know, um, for somebody who has just lost somebody to cancer or maybe to ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, yeah, their person isn't suffering anymore. But the person who's standing right in front of you is suffering right now. They're missing their person. And so be cognizant that the at least really minimizes. At least you're young and you can find love again. My husband died the day before my 40th birthday. You know, but it didn't mean that because he died that the switch turned off and that I was ready to find love again. You know, at least you can get another dog. At least you can have another child. It doesn't acknowledge the fact that these griefs that we're having hurt right here, right now. So I, have, I encourage you to avoid any sentence that starts with at least. I also don't love the phrase, I'm sorry for your loss. It's right up there with thank you for your service. You talk to most service people and they're like, I don't know what to say to that. People just say it because they're supposed to. And that's what we're taught. But for me, I'm like, I'm sorry for your loss. It doesn't allow for connection. It doesn't acknowledge the fact that I'm in agony. So I encourage you to say, you know, losing a, a parent is a significant loss. And I know how important your mom was for you. And my heart goes out to you. That's a way different story. It might be, or may I share a story of your husband, Keith? You know, I remember when. And be able to bring a memory alive if they want, if the person wants to hear that story. And then I also encourage a lot of people will say, call me if you need me. I heard it hundreds of times. I didn't know what I needed. So I, I didn't make any phone calls. But the people that showed up, the person, my neighbor who said, hey, you know, because I lived in a condo complex, leave your garbage on the doorstep and we'll make sure that we, it, it gets taken out so you don't have to worry your people worry about it. Or the people who just said, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. What do you need? You know, my friend who had children and she became a widow. Hey, I'm driving my kids to school. Can I pick your kids up too along the way? Would that help today? Offer specific help because they don't know they need it. You know, I lost 30 pounds in the first three months after losing my husband and everybody raved. I, I mean, I, you know me, Monica, I have a little bit of extra. It wasn't a bad thing for me to lose it, but everybody raved at how good I looked. I had one friend who reached out and said, have you lost all this work? Wait, wait, cause you're not eating. Yes. And I said, yeah, I hate eating alone. My brain fog is so bad that I, I, I burning stuff on the stove. If I have more than one pot cooking, like I, I said, and I, I feel sick to my stomach when I eat. So I just eat once a day. And she's like, I'd like to have you over for dinner. And why don't you stay the night and we'll watch movies and we'll have popcorn and maybe ice cream if you feel up to it. And, and I'd like to bring some Tupperware and I'll send you home with leftovers. So you just have some stuff to reheat. Right. That's grace. That's those are when you lean in. And I call my program Lean Into Grief. It's those moments when you're meant to, when you feel like you don't have the right words to say, those are the moments when you're meant to lean in and support somebody and hold space for them and, and see them and love them exactly where they're at. You know, we talked earlier a little bit about judgment and all people want when they're grieving is to be seen, right? They want you to see them. They don't want you to say, hey, don't cry. You'll make me cry too. <laughs> Because what happens is that wall goes up, the armor goes up, and they stop talking to you. And so instead, I turn around and I say, thank you. 
Thank you for sharing your tears with me. As you can see, because I often am a sprinkler, I'll cry with them and I thank them. And, and I'm grateful that they share their heart with me. That's a gift. It's an honor. It's, it's not a burden to me. And, and when you see that somebody's actually, when somebody shares those tears, they're sharing love with you. It's a hard love because they're learning to love their person when they're not here anymore. They're having to learn to love that person that they've lost that isn't here anymore. And so when all of a sudden they're like, hey, I just need a place that somebody sees me. It can be such a gift. You know, it can really truly be something that you have no idea in the moment and they may not acknowledge it in the moment because in that moment, there's a lot going on. But I can tell you, I remember the man who sat with me 11 months after my husband died in a restaurant and just let me messy cry in my soup. And he wasn't throwing Kleenex in my face. He wasn't telling me to, you know, get over it. He wasn't telling me to stop crying, that we were in a public place. He just let me cry. I will remember that man for the rest of my life because he held space. He didn't try to fix it. He didn't, you can't fix it. The only thing that fixes it is, is bringing Mike back. You can't fix dead, but you can witness grief. You can hold space and just love somebody exactly where they're at without judgment. That is so true. I, I, you make me remember all the things that I heard when my mother died about two years ago. And, uh, and all the things that I heard then, that I was like, just okay. Like basically I came to understand in the funeral, do not cry, hold it in and just pass this through these days as horrible as they are, they are and you're gonna survive. You already survived. Father, you can survive this one. But it was holding it in and holding it in and holding it in. And many things that I wanted to talk that later on, even when going to people to eat, there's like, oh, you don't want to you don't want to talk about your mom, please don't. And yeah. it's like, and why why am I here eating with you? <laughs> yeah, it's about holding space and knowing that there's yeah. gonna be times that you don't have the words. Yeah. And and lots of times what happens is when we don't have the words, we get silent. And we don't say anything. And for those people that are grieving, that silence is deafening. It's like, go, don't you see me? Don't you see this hurts? Don't you see that my, I'm shattered inside? And so I encourage you, if you don't know what to say, say that. Say, I don't know what to say here. Like, this sucks. You know, I, I remember, and I don't know if I can cuss on here, but I saw a friend about six months after Mike died. And somebody had said to her, yeah, Heidi just lost her spouse. And she goes, well, that's just shit. And I was like, it is just shit. Thank you. It wasn't a, I'm sorry for your loss and that awkward weirdness. She was like, that's, that sucks. Like, I, I can't fix it. There's nothing I can do or say, but I'm going to say what it is, you know, which was way better than, you know, the person who tried talking to me about NFL Super Bowl stats and I was like you know that like my husband just died four weeks ago she's like yeah I just don't know what to talk about when that happens so I just make weird conversation and I was like and it's weird like because <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't watch football <laughs> like, <laughs> no. right and so um 
And so just love people where they're at, do it without judgment, know that how they grieve will may look very differently than how you grieve. And that's okay. You know, it's those statements that people make, like, there's, you know, it's been five months, you're not over that yet. There is no timeline on grief. You know, oh, they took their wedding band off. Oh, they're trying for another baby. Oh, look, they got another dog. That, that's we don't get to decide how what that looks like and how, what's right for people what's not you know um I just love people exactly where they're at and even when it's ugly and sometimes grief comes with anger and sometimes they don't say the nicest things and and I still show up and I still say hey I see this is hard it's about giving people a little bit of grace and I, I tell grievers, you've got to give the people around you a bit of grace too, because they're not so good at this. And not nobody said these things to me out of malice. Nobody was like, oh, Heidi lost her husband. Let's kick her while, her down, while she's down and say all these terrible things. They say them because they've never been taught. That is our, our grief culture goes to the, about the service or maybe a week after, and then we don't know what to do after that. Yes, I even did put a timeline, how long you have to grieve. It says, how long do you get to breathe? I will love and grieve my husband to the last breath I take. Plain and simple. That is so true. But how do you, what are you, what is the, the normal, I don't even know how to say these words. How long do you know that actually you need help? Let's say. I always, I always say that if it, it, if it feels insurmountable, get help. You know, I knew I needed help. I knew that my the loss was unexpected. Um, I he had a heart attack. I I wasn't anticipating this, and, and I knew that it was I needed help. My whole life turned inside out and, and upside down in an hour, and I did I I didn't have anything to relate to, and so I went and I specific I encourage people get specific grief grief help, go and see somebody certified in grief. Don't just go and see a counselor or a psychologist. I saw a general counselor about three months after my husband died. And she was like, you're doing everything right. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I, I'm not functioning. She's like, yeah, you're doing it all right. Like, I'm like, I didn't need cheerleading. I need somebody to show me that what what's ahead. Like, what, how am I going to move, navigate this and remind me that this is normal and, and, spell out some of this stuff that doesn't make sense and and when I saw a grief counselor who actually was able to see and witness me and then said hey like why don't you go into a young widows group therapy as well so that I could go and learn from other widows that were in the same like I wasn't with a I, I was 39 years I was just 40 years old so I went in a group with a bunch of young widows not widows that were 70 years old that had been married 30 years and so you know I got to learn that I wasn't the only one going through this and that even though other people's circumstances were different like some of them had kids and some of them had different losses types of losses that the process was had similarities but that we all navigate how we all navigate it was basically how we needed to. it was kind of like the choose your own adventure <laughs> you just didn't get to choose it was you, you know you, you had to navigate it your way 
and um, you have to do it with with the grace. And so do it with a professional. Um, you can even read like Megan Devine's book. Um, it's okay that you're not okay. She was a psychotherapist and she stopped practicing after her husband died. And she realized that she was not equipped to, to um, help people with grief because she was never really trained well enough to handle it. You know, I've, I've seen, I, I was messaging with a widow probably a couple of years ago and her husband, she was 37. Her husband died in a workplace accident and it wasn't even nine months after. And she was at her doctor's office trying to get some medication to help her cope because she wasn't sleeping. And the doctor was like, out of all my patients, you take the biggest prize in grieving the, the hardest. That came from a doctor. So yeah. it's not a surprise to me that us everyday people that haven't been trained in bedside manner or death and dying, screw it up. And so I always tell grievers, like, give the people around you some grace when they say stuff and they stick their foot in their mouth, you know, instead of ripping their head off, let them know that, hey, that kind of missed the mark you know, tell them about Heidi's free complimentary classes, because they don't, they don't say it because they want to hurt you. They're, they're, it's uncomfortable. They, they have a hard time seeing the fact that their friend or their loved one is hurting and they can't fix it. And some of them, they had to, I remember when I was, I recently, when recently divorced, uh, when my, my son was five years old, I was 21 years out, uh, about, I was way younger and I was grieving I was in that pain and so forth and I went to a, a therapist and the first thing he was the dean of the university where I live of psychology and he told me well and like why you're so sad it's like well I just recently divorced I have now three kids and and I did not know how to move forward or what I was going to do with my life and educating three little boys and so forth and he told me well don't even look for anyone else. You just have to wait 10, at least, no, he was eight, 10 years more until your son is 18 years old so you can remake your life. That day I went in like in so in a depression, so deep because it's like, I have to wait 10 years really to start living again. Or it's like, what, that's the next step in 10 years. What is next? And that was a dean on the university saying yeah. those kind of things. When they're yeah. supposed to be trained. Yeah. Not all of them grieve. Uh, I feel that your expertise, it is very unique. That is Thank not uh, for all the therapies or coaches. They can yeah. deal with the same thing because of the judgment. Yeah. It is depending on whatever they have lived. If they have never been in a, uh, grieving in any aspect or divorce or passing through anything for them to have that empathy yeah. sometimes they don't they cannot get it they don't and, understand and people don't understand because they, they haven't had the experience they haven't lived it mm -hmm. you know i guarantee that i said crappy things to people before i lost my husband i know i did i know i said i'm sorry for your loss i know i kind of was like hey like it's been a year you're, you're still this is still on your mind like and not that I was that callous, but, you know, it, it feels that callous to somebody who's in agony because they've lost somebody. And I handle them, those things very different, you know, now, you know, I know, like, 
I mean, you know me, I travel quite a bit. Like you, you, you know, some of my Uber adventures, I spend a lot of time in airplanes and, and in Ubers and, and you're laughing because I have some good Uber stories, don't I? Um, yeah. But oftentimes, you know, I end up chatting with the drivers and, and they always ask like, are you married? And I say, no, I'm widowed. If I'm, if I'm feeling like I want to go down that path. And the first question people ask me, and these are complete strangers. I'm in another country in a car. How did your husband die? How did your husband, why does that matter? How does that, that information help me? Like it, you're now making me go back to the day that he had his heart attack. You're now making me go back to the day that I have to remember that I did CPR on him, that I cracked his ribs open. Like that, I, you know, that was the hardest day of my life. And so I don't, I don't ask cause of death. And, and I'll be honest with you. I believe that it's the TV and TV and movies, the crime shows that, you know, we always ask, Oh, how did they die? Well, the reality is, is when you don't know the person, and even if you do know the person, you probably don't actually need to know because unless you know how to bring them back from the dead, you can't fix that. And so I don't ask. I don't need to know. And if I felt like I needed to know, like, for example, about nine months after Mike died, I was at a, a my husband was a fireman and I was at a dinner with a bunch of firemen. And one of the men that I ended up sitting beside um, saw my husband the week before he died. And so I could see that he was devastated. He's like, I saw him and he was so happy and he was talking about you and how in love he was. And, and then a week later, I got an email that he had died. And instead of saying, what was the cause of death? He said, may I ask what happened? He asked for permission if I was willing to go there. Could I handle that? Because here's a man who has dealt with people on their worst days of their lives. He's seen people have to find loved ones who've committed suicide or died by overdose or died in car accidents. And he knows that those days are traumatic. And I learned so much from him that day because he asked, he gave me a bit of grace. I'm at a dinner full of people that were going to honor my husband that night. And may I ask what happened instead of how did he die? Yeah, it's intrusive. Because he, and I felt it was it was fair to share with him. Now I share my husband's cause of death because I know that it, everybody's curious. How did the young lady's husband die? You know, because a lot of people want to know if it's weird, like suicide, COVID, um, addiction, things like that. But the reality is, is when we do ask people, you're now asking them to relive probably one of the hardest days in their life. And you don't need that information. And so I encourage you not to ask it. If you feel like you've got to get a sense of where things are at, I sometimes will ask, was it expected? And it's not to minimize expected and unexpected deaths, but sometimes it'll tell me when the person's been sick. No, the person's been sick for six months. We kind of knew it was coming. Or no, it wasn't. We had no idea this was coming. And it could be something like, I have friends that have, lost spouses due to being hit by a car while they're in a crosswalk uh, you know like some of the the real tragic ones like addiction or suicide I I don't need to make them relive those days I really don't I, I will hold space and I will listen to them if they want to share with me 
but I'm not going to force them to go there. Yes, I I have a, one of my my sisters. Her son died uh, about seven years ago or eight years ago. She had never recuperated from that. And that's why my question was, to what point do you actually advise that, hey, you need some help? Because everybody's different. I mean, the reality is, is if you going to help means that at seven years later and you're sitting there like a lump on a log, it's not going to help you. You know, you have to be willing to do the work. And, and some people just aren't. You know, I met a woman. It was the, I was going to my first counseling session and I come out of the session. I looked like I'd been in my first counseling session. I'd been messy crying and I ran into her in the hallway. I didn't know her. And she's like, did you just come out of the grief program? And I'm like, yeah, she goes, may I ask who, who passed away? I said, my husband. And she goes, when? And I said, six months ago, she said, do the work now. She goes, my husband died seven years ago. And I went up and traveled for seven years and now I got to do the work and it's harder now. And she goes, I wasn't able to do it until now, but if you can, don't avoid it. But some people that's, that's their way. Some people, they can't move through it. Some people need time. Some people process it very differently. You know, I was chatting with a woman recently who her brother, he's like, I don't want to talk about it. His daughter was murdered. And he's like, I don't want to, talk about it I don't want to know about anything I just it is it you just don't talk about it and that's his way right now and it isn't anybody else's job for him to move through that than his own and he will do it when he's ready or maybe he is doing it and it just looks very different than what other people are going through and that's okay we yeah. don't get to decide and the hard part is, is lots of times when we're grieving and we see that somebody else is grieving in a way that we don't recognize, we then want to try to fix it because it's way easier to fix somebody else than move through our own emotions. You know, and sometimes I have to say to people, like, why do you need to talk to them about this? Why? What is the purpose? Is it that you're trying to avoid your own emotions? And I would say probably 75% of the time it is about them. It's easier to, to help somebody than to go through and feel the pain that we're feeling. But the hard part is, is when we do that, it often makes the other person feel like they're being judged because they're not doing it the right way. That is so true. That is, that is so true. And I learned, if I took some, something from today, it is that. Because we're so conditioned that we have to all be like uniform uh, emotions. And this is how we should be. This is how in the movie looks like. <laughs> but that's just conditioning that we are accepting that it doesn't have to be true. Yeah. I recorded a podcast recently where the podcaster said, I watched a movie recently and a lady was grieving and she wasn't crying. So I thought she was a crappy actress. And she goes, and now after talking to you, I'm realizing she's just representing grief in a really different way. And that that character maybe resonates for the people that don't cry. Because there's lots of people that, I, I cry enough for many people, I think. I, I'm a sprinkler, but there's lots of people that don't cry, and that's okay. You know, they find other ways to move through their emotions. And just because the tears don't shot, come through, it doesn't mean they're not grieving. But it, there isn't a normal look of grief. That is a joke. And 
I would like to ask you, okay, I know you, you wrote a book. What is the name of the book? Hi. So I contributed a chapter to the Blue Talks Volume 3, and I'm, I'm currently writing two books, but you know my schedule, and, and it's a little full. So one is a legacy book about my husband. Um, I believe that when we actually get to hold space and love people in grief with people, um, that we also get to carry on the legacies of people that we've lost. And, and I believe it's our duty to leave the legacies. And so what I've done is I've gotten um, 10 chapters from 10 of my husband's friends. And I'm compiling them to talk about the legacy that he's left behind and how losing him looks really different for all 10 of us. Um, and so it's, it's a bit of a passion project. I really, uh, I'm, I, I don't, and I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually, without my contacts, I'm legally blind. And uh, when I was young, they actually didn't think that I'd be able to, they thought I'd have, have a developmental disability. And so I always had a dream once I got, got glasses that I would write a book. And so it's a real important book for me to get out there first um, is this passion project of, of Mike's legacy because even though he's gone, he's still helping my dreams come true, which I think is pretty magical. Um, but then the other book will be about what to say and not say to somebody who's grieving. And, and again, a lot of the same things that we've talked about today, but I may actually also include some chapters from people who have lost, um, maybe had a stillborn birth or, or a miscarriage, people that have lost people by due to addiction or suicide or, or murder. Um, so that because the words matter in grief and, and I truly believe the reason why people don't say anything at all is because they're afraid they're going to screw it up. And they know that the words matter and they're afraid they're going to stick their foot in their mouth. And so I encourage people when you see grief, whether it be a child that has lost their balloon or a teenager that has um, lost their internet or a friend that maybe broke their ankle and can't drive um, or somebody who is, is grieving a divorce or whatever that looks like, you work your grief muscles in those uncomfortable situations, learn some of these tools um, and, and just start being comfortable with some of the uncomfortable conversations that we're not used to. So that when we have to be with people that we care about that are enduring pain, that we feel like we're equipped to handle those conversations rather than to go silent. You know, grief is love. And when we can do it together, it allows for connection. And so I, I encourage people, I want people to grieve with grace together. And more because in that moment, that's when they feel more alone. So that insulation, uh, isolation. Uh, isolation, yes. Yeah. You got it, yeah. <laughs> it is so tremendously because you feel that no one will understand. So people tend to become hermits in that time. Mm -hmm. So those were great advices to, to do when someone just lost someone. Yeah, well, and know that you know, when all of a sudden you go silent and, or you go and you're disappearing, it means that you're, they're having to grieve you too. You know, I lost four of my closest friends after Mike died and I grieved the loss of them for the first few months harder because I was like, they're still here. Why, why can't they see me? Why am I invisible all of a sudden? Now it's taken me some time to realize that, you know, I was a reminder to them because there were six of us that all hung out and Without Mike here, I was a reminder to them that Mike was gone. But in that moment, those first that first year, 
it ripped my heart out that I had to lose them too. And so know that when you don't show up, you're making them grieve another loss. And so show up. And even if you don't know what to say, say that. I don't have words. I'm not good at this, but you're important to me and I want to show up for you. And when I screw it up and say when I screwed up, but know that you probably will, because I, I mean, I'm trained in this and there's times I screw it up. Right. And so please tell me, like, give them permission to be real with you. Know that you're not intentionally doing this, that you're doing the best you can. You know, grace means that you give yourself grace. You're giving the pers other person grace and they're giving you grace. Right. This is. Nobody wants to have to have these conversations, but the reality is, is all of us are going to grieve. All of us will lose people. All of us will lose things. And so be graceful, be gentle, be gentle with yourself, you know, and just show up the best way that you can without judgment. You don't judge how people live happy. I mean, we talked about peace and love earlier. I don't look at Monica and go, oh, she, is that how she does happiness? I'd be like, Look at her. Look how happy she is. You know, I always tell people about like the America's Got Talent when they get the golden buzzer. When they get the golden buzzer, none of them celebrate the same way. Their dream just came true. They're not celebrating the same way, but we don't judge them. But we do judge how people live through pain. And we get to choose. You get to choose to say, hey, you know what? I need to stop that. How they go through pain is how they go through pain. And it isn't for me to tell them what that's supposed to look like or how long it's supposed to be, you know, love them exactly where they're at. That's what they deserve. That's what they need. Or they're angry to just let them be there. They're not angry at you. They're angry that their life has changed. Yes. Right. They're angry that they, they could, I mean, I was angry at Mike. You left me with a huge mess to clean up. You left me by myself. You taught me that I could be loved and then all of a sudden you died and now I got to do it again. No, I, like I, I was angry, right? Rightfully so. It's part of the process, you know? Um, it, it sucks sometimes. It's hard. There's also, but there's also beautiful parts of grief. You know, I'm really open about my grief. I'm grateful I had Mike as much as losing him broke me inside. I'm grateful I had him. My life would be very, very, a, a lot less if I didn't have him in my life. And so those moments when I'm going through the dark parts of grief, when I need to move forward and need to get out of that and get back to living, it's that I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I had him. And something that everybody has to remember that when someone is showing up just angry all the time, probably they're depressed. And they're saying it's an angry person. Yes, but what is behind that anger? I always say anger is one letter short of danger. It's an emotion. But if you don't actually stop and look, it's a surface emotion. And it's kind of like the scratch ticket that you get at the gas station. If you scratch off, you'll see a different emotion behind it. Yes. Right. And, or a different reason. Like you think that they're angry about this, but really it could be that they're sad about something else or they're missing something or that they're, you know, feeling guilty or regret. There, there'll be another emotion behind it. So. It is. Even if it doesn't matter what emotion it is, there's always something behind. 
That's why the healing process for the human being. It may never end. It never ends. Yeah. Well, and behind, behind, behind. You know, and know that it shifts. Like, you know, I had a friend who her husband died 12 years ago. And she's a grief lady. Like, she's trained in all this stuff. One of her big grief days happened to be her birthday. But it was the birthday that she now was older than her husband. Because he was 12 years older than her. And all of a sudden, it hit her like a ton of bricks. And other people are like, well, why, why is it bugging you? Because it was never supposed to be that way. And so, you know, know that it may not look the same. Know that it could be 12 years. It could be 15. My, my husband was 24 years older than me. So when I turn 63, it's going to be probably have some emotion to it. It might be emotionally charged. And that's okay. You know, I'm allowed to. I, I give myself that permission. You know me, you know that I can schedule everything. You know that I run events. You know that I'm really good at order. Yes. Grief fucks that shit up. And it is okay to actually be vulnerable and say, you know what? Today, I'm not feeling right. For any day you're passing through. Yep. Sometimes we have to stop and say, you know, it doesn't matter. You're a, a grieving coach or you're a coach or a healer, whatever you are. We all passing through emotions, yeah, and we need to honor them because if we not we not honor them. It just we're trying to push it down and hide them from ourselves. It's just going to come up and come up until we actually do that inner work. And know that sometimes that that stuff comes percolating. You know, like there's times where I'll walk past somebody and they're wearing a cologne, the, mm -hmm. the same one that Mike wore, and I'm like, you know. And I'm like, oh, and some days it'll bring tears to my eyes and other days it'll bring a smile to my face, you know? And that's, that's the reality of it, right? Like we don't get to choose. Those memories will percolate in, in different places and spaces. And so it can come up when we least expect it, you know? And we, we think about grief and we think that it's, oh, it's just a personal loss. So it, you just deal with it at home, but it happens at the office. Mm -hmm. You think about your loved ones at the office. You think about your lost, the dog that you just lost at the office. So grief shows up at the office. We need to use these, these skills at the office just as much as we do at home. You know, the grace is needed. I mean, I remember my husband's funeral was about two weeks after he died because of the holiday season, because um, he died at Christmas time. And then um, it was on a Friday. And on a Monday, I, I had my business, right? On the, on the Sunday after his service, I got an email from one of my clients who was at his service. So she knew he died. Said, the list of things for Heidi to do is growing. Are you going to be available to do it on Monday or should I find somebody else? My response was find somebody else. Because my other clients messaged me and said, hey, Heidi, we know that you have gone through hell and back. How do we support you? What, is, what does it look like? What do you need? Mm -hmm. And they gave me that grace for a year. Like where I phoned them and said, you know, I, I know we talked about this in January that I can't do work on, on the fly. Like I need longer time to get work done. And you guys have done that. But I, I now need to probably make a little bit of money. The bills need to get paid. And, um, and they were like, we were waiting on you, you know, 
Is I remember one of my best friends died about seven years too. And uh, we used to paint murals together. And we painted in different restaurants here locally. And I avoid going to those restaurants because I did not want to remember. Until finally, this last year, I took my daughter and it's like, let me show you some murals that I did with Juan Carlos. And we went and it's like, oh yeah, I remember Juan Carlos was over there. He almost fell down from that chair painting that mural. And I was over here, the paint was gonna fall on top of me. But now we can talk and laugh about it. Mm-hmm. But I avoid those places for seven years. Yeah. Because it was too painful to go and 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 have those memories back. And sometimes it is take your time, but it is important that you will see them later on the, the same stories in a very different way. Yeah. Like now I could laugh with my daughter about the painting was gonna fall on top of me and things like that. And now we can laugh about it. So that is and- important. And, and and everybody does that differently. Like some people might be like, hey, I need to see those murals. Hey, uh, you know, I want those memories. And other people, yeah, it's too painful. And neither one of them are wrong. Yeah. And that's okay. Right? Yes. Be gentle with the people around you. Be gentle with yourself. You know, know that this is something we don't talk about. Like literally all we've been talk- taught to do is send some flowers, maybe a card, attend a service. Some of us might, might make a lasagna. And then when the service is done, we really don't know what to do or say, you know? And so know that judgment is grief kryptonite. Like every time I say, see the word judgment now, I just see that big green stone in Superman. Um, and, and, and just love somebody exactly where they're at. And even if you don't agree with it, even if it shouldn't look that way in your eyes, just be like, this is their process. And all they need to do is be seen. I know you have some classes once in a while that you teach when you have time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what happened, or how do people can get a hold so of Visit on my website, HeidiDunstan.ca under events. I just did one last night. Thank you very much. Thank you, Heidi. You have Thank you, Monica. You would like to say before we... No, thank you. It's been a, a a real treat being able to chat with you. I've missed chatting with you. It's been a couple couple months. So thank you for taking the time to be with me. Thank you, everybody. This is Monica Ramirez, the Warrior of Love, and thank you for being in Soul Talk on Zoology Network. <laughs>